You're listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week in our journey through John's Gospel, we move into chapter 5, where Brother Keith opens up for us how we can find our rest in Jesus. Let's listen in. Amen. That's the haven of rest. We're going to be talking about resting today. Did y'all notice, I think it was Tate, I just saw the back of her head coming up here. She skipped to um, children's sermon. Did y'all notice that? Did you skip to church this morning? Teachers, did you skip to school Monday? Laura, I could imagine you skipped. Did you? Cartwheels. Yeah, skipping, you know, is a sign of a happy heart, of a heart at rest. Now, rest doesn't necessarily mean uh, stopping physical activity, just rest. We need physical rest, but there's also another kind of rest. And we're going to be talking about that today. Tate was at rest. Have you ever uh, been in bed late at night, maybe 3 o'clock in the morning, and your mind gets busy spinning, 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 and you think, Lord, if I could just rest, but it doesn't come. What is it in your mind that keeps you from rest? Well, as we look at the passage today, this is um, John's third sign that he gives us in his gospel. And this is the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. As we look at this passage, I want to try to point out that Jesus Christ is the ultimate rest that we all desperately want and need. You see, there are ways of running away from God. We can run away from God in our sin, just running the opposite direction, but we can also run away from God by trying to run after God through religion. And both paths take us away from God. But Jesus is our ultimate rest. Well, first, let's look at a few things about the passage, and then I want to make some application of it to our lives. Verse 1, chapter 5, starts with John saying, But sometime later he went up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is south, but he went up because of the terrain. Jerusalem is higher. And he went there for one of the feasts. We don't know which one. All Jewish males were required or expected to go if they lived within a certain distance. The feast of Passover or Pentecost or Tabernacles. But one of the feasts, we really don't know. But in Jerusalem, there was a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. And John's description of the pool was that it was near the sheep gate. That was the gate where the sheep were brought in to offer sacrifices. And around this pool, it was surrounded by five covered colonnades. Well, for many years, this passage was one that skeptics used to say the Gospel of John is, is not reliable because there is no evidence that such a pool ever existed. And so they would point to this. And even we would find it hard to believe that they at that time would build something in the shape of a pentagon. However, right at the turn of the 20th century, archaeologists discovered this very pool. It was in Jerusalem. 
It was near the sheep gate, just like John said it was. And they also discovered evidence of pillars that would have supported the covered colonnades. Two on each side, two on each end, that's four, and then one right across the middle. Five covered colonnades, just like John said. Well, it was at this pool that a great number of people would gather. People with disabilities. And John tells us there in verse 3 that they were the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now look at verse 4. Do you see it? Many of your Bibles, you don't have verse 4. Depending on the translation. But check your margin, it's probably there. Verse 4 is believed to have been inserted by a well-intentioned scribe to explain why the people were gathering at the pool. To explain verse 7. And so, verse 4 is not included because it wasn't present in the earliest manuscripts. So that's why your Bible might have it as a footnote. Well, the focus of the passage is not the pool. It's not the water in the pool. It's the man at the pool who had been an invalid for 38 years. And it was this man whom Jesus singled out that day to be miraculously healed. So what's the significance of this sign? Why is John including it in his gospel? And what does it mean to us? I'd like for you to think of this sign as a reminder of redemption. A reminder of redemption because in this we have the problem, we have the solution, and we have the promise. The problem, the solution, and the promise. First of all, the problem. Man's helplessness. This man had been an invalid for 38 years and he was completely helpless. Not only was he helpless in himself, he couldn't help himself, but he was also evidently without family and friends to help him. He said to Jesus in verse 7, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now this poor man was totally dependent on someone else. But there was no one else that he could depend on. Isn't that the way it is with salvation? That we are totally dependent on someone else to save us because we can't save ourselves. We are totally dependent on the one who can save us. And there's only one who can save us. And He is Jesus. Think about salvation. When it comes to salvation, what can we offer to God to earn it? Or to obtain it? Or to keep it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing except faith in what Jesus has done. But we can't offer anything. So we're helpless. So why was this man singled out from all the other people that were gathered there? The Word tells us that a great number of people always gathered there. So why was this man singled out? I think because of his helplessness. Because of his hopelessness. Maybe among all the people that were there, he was the most helpless. And the one without hope of any kind. See, apart... From Jesus Christ, we are completely helpless and hopeless, just like this man was. Well, that's man's problem, our helplessness. But look at the solution. Complete healing through Jesus. 
Jesus saw this man's condition and He went to him and He asked, Do you want to get well? Now, maybe to get the man to admit that he really wanted to get well because he could have grown accustomed to his life of dependence. That could have been such a norm for him that he was comfortable with that and he didn't want to change. I've helped people before that I'm not sure they really want help. They just want a handout. There was one couple on 19, they were, uh, had a sign up, needed food needed gas, and I stopped, turned around, and went back and helped them. I bought them a meal. I put gas in their car to send them on their way, to help them. A few hours later, I went back by. They were still there with their sign, need help, need food, need gas. I'd already given them food and gas. See, they didn't want my help. They wanted the handout. They had become so accustomed to depending on someone else that that was their living, evidently. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? Maybe asking also to see if there was some kind of evidence of faith in this man. Well, whether the man's answer was right or not, in grace, Jesus said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. He just said it. It was His Word. Get up. See, creation started with His Word. Everything that was created was created by Christ and it came through His Word. And this man was healed with His Word. I just love that thought about Jesus. With His Word, He heals. He creates. See, Jesus bypassed the supposed healing powers of that pool. He bypassed the superstition that surrounded it. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that God heals people the way that it's assumed here. And the only reason that that we think that it might have been of God is because a scribe later added that verse that's even not in your Bible that says an angel of the Lord stirred the water. But some scholars believe that this pool was associated with Asclepius, the pagan god of healing. I mean, after all, Rome did control Jerusalem. So that's very likely. But Jesus is above all superstition. He's above all legend. He's above all false hope. He is the Lord of life. And He has the power to create life and restore it as He wills. And that's what he did here. He restored this man's life. Now keep in mind too that Jesus didn't heal all the other people that were there that day. Just this man. That in itself is a reminder that there are no mass healings, physical or spiritual. Jesus meets people on an individual basis. And when we stand before Jesus on that day, it will not be as a group of people. It will be as an individual face to face with Christ. John doesn't tell us if this man received spiritual healing or not. In fact, there's not much here that looks like faith on the man's part except the fact that he did stand up when Jesus told him to. But his physical healing is a sign of the spiritual healing that Jesus offers to everyone. 
a spiritual healing that leads to ultimate rest. And that's the third point. The promise of complete rest in Jesus. This miracle was more than a physical healing. It's more than another sign of Jesus' sovereignty over sickness. It was also a sign that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Think back to the Old Testament. What was God's purpose in giving the people of Israel the Sabbath day? It was for the purpose of rest. To give them a day of rest. He said, you work six days a week on this day. You are to stop your working and rest. That was the purpose. But down through the years, the, the Jewish leaders had turned the Sabbath into a burden for the people. And because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, the religious leaders at this point turned their attention to Jesus and began to persecute Him. That means to pursue Jesus. And as you know, they pursued Jesus to death. To the Jewish leaders, breaking the Sabbath was serious. And Jesus had other conflicts with them over the Sabbath of the things that He was doing on the Sabbath, but He is Lord of the Sabbath. The problem was that they weren't protecting God's law concerning the Sabbath. They were protecting their own rules concerning God's law. They had created 39 categories that would define what work was. And each category had its own rules. Israel today, they still observe Sabbath or Shabbat. When we were there back in May, we were told, when Sabbath begins, don't expect things to be the same as they are through the week. From sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, they celebrate Shabbat. And their Friday evening meal is much like our Sunday lunch. Families gather, they dress up, they enjoy one another, a big meal, but they don't do much else. They even have what they call a Shabbat elevator. The elevators are pre-programmed on Shabbat to go to the top floor, and then it comes down and stops at each floor on the way down. So if you are in a hurry, don't get on, it, on an elevator. You'll do better going down the steps. It's a Shabbat elevator. And the reason they do that is because one of the rules is that you can't create a fire on the Sabbath. And if you push an electrical button, you create a spark, which they believe is a fire. So that's why you don't push a button and get on an elevator because you are breaking the Sabbath by creating a fire. They also have a, a manual door next to the automatic doors because if you walk in front of that electric eye, you are breaking the Sabbath by creating a spark, which is breaking the Sabbath. Well, this man was healed on the Sabbath. And because he got up, because he picked up his mat, he broke the rules. And breaking the Sabbath was an offense punishable by stoning. And that's why he passed the buck. They asked him, why are you doing this? And he said, this man told me to get up and carry my mat. Instead of rejoicing that a miracle had taken place, the leaders judged this man for breaking their laws. Remember that he wasn't breaking God's law. 
Because God's law simply said rest. But he was breaking their laws. The true Sabbath, the intent of the Sabbath, foreshadowed the ultimate day of rest that would last forever in God's presence. When God gave the Sabbath, it was looking ahead to the time that we will be forever in His presence and resting there. So John includes this miracle, this sign, to remind us that Jesus Christ is our ultimate rest. He promised it. Jesus promised, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see the promise? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And here's the promise again. You will find rest for your souls. Come to Jesus and you will have rest. That's a promise from Jesus. So I would ask you this morning, what is it that keeps you from rest? Is it your family? Some circumstance in your family? Is it your work? Maybe the people that you work with. Does that keep you from rest? What about an illness? Does that keep you from resting? What about your circumstances? Does it keep you from resting? And again, I'm not necessarily talking about physical rest, but I'm talking about spiritual and emotional rest. Do you trust Jesus enough to take all of those things, whatever they are, do you trust Him enough to take those things to Him? Come to Him, He says, and you will find rest. Now here's the big one, the big question. What about sin? Does the unconfessed sin in your life keep you from resting? Notice verse 14. Jesus saw the man later in the temple and He said, You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now was Jesus implying here that our illnesses and our troubles are, are a result of our sin? Well, there are verses in the Bible that link sin to affliction, like Psalm 38.3. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. Or... Psalm 107.17 Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Or even Micah 6.13 Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. So we can't ignore those verses that link sin and affliction, but Jesus clearly taught, as we'll see in chapter 9, that sickness and trouble is not necessarily always related to our sin. That's when Jesus healed the man that was born blind and the disciples asked Him who was sinning that this man was born this way, his parents or the man? And Jesus said, neither. So He clearly taught that. But I think what Jesus is saying in verse 14 is that sin, by its nature, carries with it negative consequences. Just by its nature. 
And our continuing to sin often leads us into terrible circumstances just because of sin's destructive nature. And if carried far enough, unless our sin nature is forgiven through the atoning work of Jesus, then we would certainly be worse off in eternity without Christ than anything that we would endure in this world, even 38 years as an invalid as this man. Some people can't rest because they refuse to deal with the issue of sin. And you deal with it by admitting it. Just simply admitting that you have sin and confessing it to the Lord. And what does the Scripture tell us? That He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's as we confess it to, to Him. Well, there was one day this week, I think it was Monday, I was reading, actually reading a perspective of this passage from a Jewish Christian. And so it was late in the afternoon after I'd uh, gone home, about 4.30. Judy came home and she came in and she had to go back to the car, so she left the back door open. I'm sitting in the room. Our bedroom is on the west end of the house. There's a window there and a recliner in front of the window. And as the door was left open, a, a fly came in. And it was one of those supercharged flies. You know, I think we used to call them blowflies. Dark black with a little blue on it and it buzzes and it's fast. And it was coming through and going back and forth and I'm reading and I'm thinking I can't concentrate on this and so I reached behind me and I opened the plantation shutter to the window and I kept reading and about 30 seconds you know what happened the fly went to the window because a fly will always go to the brightest place in the room did you know that so the fly went to the window and I reached back and I closed the plantation shutter. Well, I could still hear the fly, zzz, but after about 30 seconds, it became, zzz. you know why? Because it was in a spider's web. Now, I'm, I'm telling our family secrets that in our window, <laughs> we have spider webs. But you know a plantation shutter, you don't open them so naturally a, a web will come there. Well, the fly kept making bad decisions. And I don't know if flies think and do things like that, but the first bad decision was to come into the house. The second bad decision was to come into my room. The third bad decision was to fly to that window. And then the last bad decision was to light on that spider's web. Isn't that the way it is with sin? And by the way, the next day I went back, I swept out the window, and I found the carcass of that fly. Sin is ugly. And it leads to terrible circumstances. God doesn't have to punish us because of our sin. Sin does its own punishing. See, that's the nature of sin. And unless we deal with sin, unless we transfer our sin to Jesus, then our sin is not dealt with. 
And as we progress, making poor decisions, each one is worse than the other. And that's why Jesus said, quit sinning so that something worse won't happen to you. Have you found that Jesus offers complete rest? Have you found that? There's no need to fret over meeting the requirements of the law because Jesus has already met those requirements. See, and there's, there's no need to despair over your sin because Jesus has removed your sins. And there's no need to worry over your circumstances because Jesus holds your circumstances in His hands. What you and I are helpless to do, Jesus did for us. And therefore, we can spend the rest of our lives here and then the rest of our life in eternity resting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is Your glorious and beautiful Word. It comes straight from Your mind. And we are thankful for it. That You offer us the rest that we desperately look for in all the wrong places. But if we would just come to You there, in the presence of Christ, Your Son, we would find the rest that we want. So Lord, I pray that You would help us to rest in You. Help us to see Jesus as He is. And we thank You for what You have done for us through Him. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.